It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have a big hour coming your way, including Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. He might be revealing his plans next. He's going to be resigning shortly. And we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. If you ever missed the show, the Fox News podcast is always a, a great thing to do. As you always can get the podcast, and uh, BrianKilmeadeShow.com is the best way to get it. Uh, and get it where you normally get your podcast. Uh, so we'll watch the President of the United States going to go out on the road. He's going to be talking about his infrastructure package that he already blew up almost before it was agreed upon. And uh, we'll see what else will be taking place today uh, that will be disturbing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Progressives are sitting there looking at roads and bridges and airports and saying we could have gotten out with Trump. We didn't elect you to give us what we could have gotten with President Trump. Right. Uh, Trey Gowdy knows the reality of politics. Joe Biden heads to Wisconsin to sell his infrastructure package. He already can't sell to his own party. Is this worth the time? Because we all know it's a deal. Uh, A deal is what the country needs, but it's not what the Democrats want. Number two. They know that voters, their number one issue is crime. The Democrats know that. And what is their way of... Uh, responding. It is to lie. It is to gaslight. You had Jen Psaki saying today, oh, no, it's actually the Republicans defunded the police. Uh, The data doesn't lie. Cut police forces and their budget and get a rise in crime nationwide. That's exactly what Democratic mayors and candidates did. Now Dems are trying to blame Republicans. Will this fiction actually sell? Number one. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country, haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully I'm so I'm so sorry that our country is letting down our Olympic athletes. The divide widens. First, an Olympian tries to turn, turns her back on the flag, and now an NBA legend goes on a delusional racist rant against his former coach and a Hall of Famer. What does the when does all of this stop? When you stop calling when everyone's a racist, nobody's a racist. Someone tell that to Scotty Pippen. First off, on this latest uh, problem with this hammer thrower that we're experiencing right now as a country, she decides after winning the bronze that she was sandbagged when they played the national anthem. I had to read this three times. I said, what, "How do you get sandbagged when you read the national anthem?" I thought it was about her not winning the gold. She won the bronze in the U.S. Nationals. She qualifies for Tokyo. Well, it ends up if you Google her background in the Pan Am Games, she put up a black fist, uh, put up a fist for Black Power. Uh, John Carlos, uh, you know from uh, from the Olympics in the 1960s, the uh, Pan Am Games. She got fined. Uh, she got suspended. Whatever she got, uh, temporarily got detention. So they said they played the national anthem when she's on. Uh, when she was on the podium to get back at her, no, they played it once a they play it once a day at the U.S. National t- uh, Track Finals for for the right to go to Tokyo. This is usually a great day, full of competition, highs and lows. For her, you think it was a high, but it wasn't because she obviously is not happy with the country. She cold turned her back on the flag. Um, she turned her back on the flag, and then she put a T-shirt over her head. And the T-shirt said, uh, 
activist athlete. Really? Cornberry? Nobody cares about the hammer throw. I love track and field. I have so much appreciation for it. Don't watch it. Don't understand that what great athletes you have to be. But now, I guarantee you, by standing up against the flag, not only does she get praise from the White House, she's going to get an apparel deal. Maybe from Nike. Maybe, I don't think, Under Armour. Maybe Adidas will decide that Gwen Berry, the hammer thrower, has guts. T.W. Hammond, uh, Shannon weighed in. Former Oklahoma State rep, she, uh, T.W. was on Gutfeld last night, cut four. I don't know who she turned her back on, whether it's America, the national anthem, but I'd like to ask who she turning her face to. What country is she going to look toward where she's going to be treated better than she is here in the United States of America? That's the problem that I have with this woman. But again, you know, she's probably angling for her next deal. I mean, this is what, you know, Marxists for hire do, right? They, they look for an opportunity to continue to spread this propaganda about how racist America is. Yeah, and I'm sick of it, and I think you're sick of it, too. On the Olympics and the IOC, they do not let you protest your country on the podium. You cannot show disdain for whatever flag you have, because we know every country is so much better than ours. I mean, this goes back on them. Please, if you don't like the country and have a better idea, there should be a fast track to let people compete for other countries that they're prouder of, because I can't think of a better one on our worst day. We reflect the times on our best day. 2008, always give this example. Barack Obama, the country was not into same-sex marriage. Barack Obama says, I'm running for president, and I believe a marriage is between a man and a woman. If you said that in 2012, you were considered a homophobe. Do I hate Barack Obama in 2008? No. Is same-sex marriage commonplace where it's not even news? Yes. Things changed. You don't condemn the person of his time, in our time, by the way. So I thought, I can't believe we're having this debate again. And then Dan Patrick has Scottie Pippen on the show. In case you do not know, if you're a non-sports fan, one of the top 20 players, about 50 players of all time, played with Michael Jordan. He was famous for not getting off the bench when Michael Jordan went to go play baseball because they weren't calling his name for the final play of a playoff game. It would forever sully his image, but he would end up strong as one of the great players and one of the nicest guys. However, he was kind of bitter. He signed a 10-year contract that dramatically underpaid him considering what he ended up achieving. And they never, and they did this wrong. The Bulls never tore it up and redid it. So he always had some bitterness towards money he did not make and had to leave it, uh, go make it elsewhere. Listen to what Scottie Pippen did to his reputation and Phil Jackson's reputation. So here's how it rolled out. Uh, cut six. But when you say a racial move. Why would Tony, who was a rookie, get the last second shot and you put me out of bounds? That's what I mean, racial. Like, that was Scottie Pippen's team. But, but Scottie Phil Pippen then, was but, but, on pace to be an MVP that year, right? Why would you put him in a position not to be successful? Why wouldn't you put him in a position to succeed? Michael Jordan is not there. So who's next in line for you? So Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukoc, in case you don't know, was uh, uh, white, and I think he still is. And he was a rookie, and he got the call and got that play call. Why? He was a great outside shooter. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to any Bulls fan to tell me who's right or wrong. I don't care. That's not the issue. But I don't think in a million years think Phil Jackson, who coached Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, probably 85% of all the people he coached, maybe 90, were black. How could we hear that he's racist? But listen to this exchange, cutting. 
by saying a racial move, you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. Do you think Phil was or is? Oh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? Who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that. I think he tried to expose Kobe in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach, and you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle, and everything stays within the circle because that's what team is about. But you as the head coach open it up, and now you go out and you try to belittle, at that time, probably one of the greatest players in the game. Okay. You really think that's racial? Why does Michael Jordan love him? And Kobe Bryant was, according to some circles, extremely tough to deal with. And in Phil Jackson's mind, very egocentric. And he really caused most of the problems with Shaq. I wasn't there. But who thinks that's racial? I think, according to reports, Shaquille O'Neal is black, too. Here's my problem. Not to talk basketball, but just to talk how ridiculous this country is becoming. Now people who didn't see race are seeing race at 60. They didn't see at 15 and 20 and 25. I believe this guy is from a small uh, college, ends up being one of the greatest players of all time and developed most of those skills under a guy named Phil Jackson, who he's now calling racist, cut nine. Well, it feels like he's disloyal. I don't know if that makes him a racist. Well, that's your way of putting it out, and I have my way. I was in the locker room with him. I was in practices with him. You're looking for him afar. Okay. Dan Patrick, by the way, has a great radio show. I mean, he's a great broadcaster. One of the few to leave ESPN and get bigger when he left. So he wasn't done yet. Everyone watched The Last Dance. We had nothing else to do, and it was a great documentary of Michael Jordan's final season. He comes back. They chronicled his incredible career. He, why he ended up bigger and better than anybody else, and no one's gotten close since, including LeBron James from uh, Larry Bird to even Tom Brady. They don't compare to Derek Jeter. Don't compare to Michael Jordan. So Scottie Pippen was there, and I thought that Michael, you know, Michael Jordan always gave him his due, but he felt as though the last dance didn't treat him well, and that's fine. But I didn't think race was an issue, especially because, according to the people that know him, Michael Jordan's black. But no, there's race in everything now. Let's listen to The Last Dance. This guy named Steve Kerr, in case you don't know, now coach of the Golden State Warriors, was an outstanding player for the Chicago Bulls and famously won a game, uh, won a series for them by hitting the last shot. Cut 10. I thought in the huddle, Mike says, I'm going to throw you the ball. You'll be open at the felon. Phil had nothing to do with that? Do you know all those cameras that's sitting in that huddle who they was working for you know who michael was speaking to when he said that right that was planned that was speaking to the camera that wasn't speaking out of what we're going to have to do what the play is going to be that was speaking to the camera had uh, john stockton not came down trust me that was building his own documentary because he knew he was controlling the cameras you understand english yeah all those cameras that was working were working basically for Michael Jordan, not for the Chicago Bulls. That was not naturally spoken. That was rehearsed. Okay. It's pretty amazing, right? And lastly, I'll just play this out. Scottie Pippen, the biggest issue with Michael Jordan in the last dance. Well, I just thought they were being honest. Scottie Pippen comes out of nowhere. Sean, they didn't redo his deal. That's terrible. He got bad advice. I understand it. 
He is from a big family with very little money. He wanted to help them out right away, and they made him stick with this uh, outdated contract. It was 10 years long. Cut 11. I think my biggest thing with the documentary was uh, Michael, who didn't play in 94, who was selling a video based on The Last Dance, was something that he sort of tried to pull out to show that our winning was all about me. And this is what everybody else did when I uh, wasn't around. Wow. And finally, cut 12. Have you talked to Michael since the documentary? No. Not really talk. We kind of talked during it a little bit, but not, no. Do you want to? No. I mean, I think we've both moved on in our life. There's nothing to be uh, holding on to that went on 20 plus years ago. There's nothing for us to talk about that. I mean, we could talk about our life and our families and our golf game or something, but we ain't got to go back and clarify nothing that happened in the 90s. Uh, You know, I just hope that if I'm ever the best at something, I wouldn't be at, he's probably 62 now. I wouldn't be this bitter, this angry, and just to blame race as a part of it. Uh, I I just think you just make people roll their eyes and say, you know, we're watching sports. You have a rivalry. We see uh, teammates not get along all the time. But to think now, uh, this Hall of Fame coach was a racist. This great player was an actor. Uh, the great lines are all rehearsed. This documentary was all a setup. I don't know. I mean, that was done to show they didn't win without Michael. I'll put it this way. You could have any documentary you want, but it ends the way life ends and the way championships ends and the way the game ends. That's a documentary. It's not Space Jam. I'll talk about that and and race in America today. And and are you sick of this in sports or are you someone that appreciated Muhammad Ali standing up and Jim Brown taking a stand to make America better? 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to ask... Uh, Colonel Allen West that, but I want to talk to you next. And also we'll talk about the uh, infrastructure deal as they start selling it to us. Meanwhile, they're going to just give us a reconciliation bill, knowing that we're going to pay for everybody's babysitting, school lunches, preschool, and elder care. Why not? Because we're a socialist country anyway. So legalize pot, legalize gambling, uh, stay, don't work, and pay for things that we can't afford. What could be wrong with that formula? That's America today under President Biden. Not okay with me. Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president, a lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill, could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. That funding has been used to keep cops on the beat. I know it hasn't. Uh, in fact, they, uh, they could choose to do that, but almost no Democratic mayor has put that into law enforcement. The first thing they did over the last year and a half, as Jen Psaki and their, uh, the White House tries to rewrite history that we're living through and pretend that Republicans defunded the police, there's not a Republican on the planet who thought that was a good idea. None. That's like saying Donald Trump was against the wall. Really? You really want to spin it that he was against the wall? You really want to say it that Republicans are afford defunding the police? Are you nuts? Homicides are up across the country. Burglaries are up across the country by significant margins. And that changed the dialogue in this country. They already knew defund the police was bad. James Clyburn and Barack Obama said, Democrats, what are you doing? There's 800,000 cops in this country. They're responsible, active. They're responsible to keep Americans safe of all stripes and, and uh, genders. They want know one thing. They don't know party. They know safety and security. And now you want to defund that, and when the numbers start getting bad, they look and say, Democrats, you started this. And now they want to switch it. Please don't tell me you're that naive. 20 major cities have cut police budgets, all Democratic-run cities. 25 cities have moved to remove police from schools, all Democratic-run cities. $840 million cut in direct cuts to police departments across this country. Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, Democrat, cut $150 million out of the LAPD. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, Democrat, cut over $1 billion from New York City's police budget. Austin, Texas, run by a Democrat. Law enforcement cut $20 million. Milwaukee, Seattle, Philadelphia, Baltimore all cut their police departments. They defunded the police. They defamed the police. They emasculated law enforcement. And now they are quitting. And now your cities are out of control, and you want to say it's because Republicans didn't okay? $1.9 trillion we didn't have to fund programs that didn't need to be funded to an economy that was already recovering, to an economy now is dealing with inflation that nobody predicted, but experts on the outside fear. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. <laughs> That, to me, is something I ask. The moderates and even Democrats know we can't do this. Some of the quotes that I think you should bring to your barbecue this weekend in case somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, these Republicans defunded the police and I don't feel safe. Um, almost every Republican, almost every person is on 
uh, who wants to defund the police has been quoted. Corey Bush. On Barack Obama saying don't defund the police, he said defund the police, police is not a slogan. It's a mandate for keeping black people alive. Jamal Bowman, Democrat, defund the police and defund the systems that are terrorizing our communities. These are just two of the quotes. You know about AOC for defund the police. Says that's what they're saying on the street. Don't tell me not to use that word. Please find a Republican who thinks that's a good idea. None of them do. one 408 7669 I'll come back and take your calls after Lieutenant Colonel Alan West tells me what's happening at the border in Texas and why so many Hispanics seem to be finding the Republican Party. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It was my recommendation to visit El Paso. El Paso is actually one of the busiest of the nine sectors across the southwest border. Uh, and it also provides the opportunity to see the full expanse of our work. Not only the central pro- processing center uh, where uh, we encounter migrants, bring them uh, to shelter uh, for transfer to uh, health and human services, uh, but we also uh, were able to visit the port. Uh, where we propel uh, lawful trade and travel through that port of entry. Well, that's great. Go to the lawful port of entry instead of the tens of thousands that are being held in um, uh, McCallum, Texas, and the Rio Grande Valley. Please, uh, the Homeland Security Secretary insults our intelligence by thinking that it was his idea for Kamala Harris to go there. Uh, they went there because they said that that's when Donald Trump put there his two-week plan to separate families to get send a message that if you come here with a kid illegally, you're going to be separated. That was Jeff Sessions' idea, reportedly, and he ended up getting fired because of that. It lasted a couple of weeks. That's what they've been hanging their hat on. That's like a good day compared to what Kamala Harris's administration is doing right now. Joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, what spin that is? I went to uh, I went to that part of Texas, El Paso, because I thought be, that's one of the busiest sectors. Yeah, what a joke! It's good to be with you, Brian. And it reminds me—I believe it was Catherine the Great when they set up the Potemkin Village for her to uh, go out and made it seem that everything was perfect. It's just the same as when you look over to North Korea and you see a uh, Kaesong City, which is this mock propaganda city that the uh, North Koreans built up just on the other side of DMZ. You go down to El Paso, you're not going to see what is really ailing us here at uh, in Texas. You need to go down to Del Rio. You need to go to Donald. Roma. You need to go to McAllen. You need to go to Brownsville. You need to go to all of those points in between. You need to go down there and talk to some of these uh, border uh, city mayors and also some of these county officials that are along the Rio Grande Valley. You go to El Paso, uh, you're going to see, you know, exactly what they want to show the facade and get the opportunity to say in in a two-hour visit, I think that was the the total expanse of her stopping by, is to say that she's been to the border. Nah, she hadn't been to the border. She just went to the place that they wanted to show off and get a check in the box. So I understand the governor has told the federal government, you're not using any more housing here for illegals. What can you tell me about this uh, Governor Abbott move? 
Well, yeah, because one of the big concerns that we have here in the state of Texas is, you know, right here in Dallas, the uh, the convention center, K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center, they had upwards to 3,000 to 4,000 illegal immigrant males that were there. Now, slowly but surely, they released them out into the communities, and they're down to about 1,500, same thing in San Antonio. But what is most disconcerting and disturbing is that out there uh, in El Paso, Texas, is a major strategic military installation for the Army called Fort Bliss, Texas. They have some 5,000 illegal immigrants on Fort Bliss, Texas. Now, how is that helping our national security, uh, especially if these people are not properly vetted? And the other thing that really has to concern us as Americans, you know, when you and I travel, Brian, we have to show picture ID, although some people say showing picture ID is racist. But we've got to go through all the security protocols. But yet you have people, illegal immigrants that are getting on airplanes coming out of, this, uh, out of Texas. They're not going through screening. They're not going. I, I saw it. Down in Laredo, they're not going through TSA checks. They're not showing any type of, you know, proof of ID, but yet they're getting on our aircraft. How dangerous is that when we know that there are some, you know, 160 different nations we have uh, detained people from to include two individuals from Yemen who are on a terrorist watch list? Well, uh, there's a couple of things going on, one of which is uh, the elections. Uh, the Texas legislature walked out and the, the I guess stopped the you Texas guys. Democrats. Yeah, the Democrats walked out, mm-hmm. stopped you guys from changing the election laws. And well, uh, I it, guess it's postponed until July, first week in July. Yeah, uh, what they ended up doing is they walked out because whatever reason, the important election integrity legislation, which was the number one legislative priority for the Republican Party of Texas and an emergency priority for the governor, uh, they pushed it off to the last minute. And so the Democrats walked out. They prevented them from having a quorum, so they could not vote on it. Now the governor has called for a special session on the 8th of July, and now the exact same Texas Democrats, who Kamala Harris praised as, as heroes and courageous up there in Washington. D.C., they're threatening not to show up for the uh, special session uh, that starts 8 July if uh, election integrity is one of the uh, items that the governor declares on the agenda. So what's interesting is that could kind of help out Texas, I believe, is that the lawsuit that Merrick Garland filed on behalf of the U.S. government against Georgia, and I think Georgia is welcoming the challenge. I do. I think they're going to regrew the day that they did it because there's nothing unconstitutional that Georgia did. Here's their secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, who's going to be joining us at a different hour. Cut 44. We're looking forward to meeting them and beating them in court. We're battle hardened, battle tested. We've been fighting Stacey Abrams and other progressives since I assumed office in 2019. We've won before. We're going to win again. And the thing they didn't do anything unconstitutional, embarrassed, you know, Major League Baseball, we saw they react. If you if this court. If these rules hold up, will that allow? Will that drill down to Democrats that they're walking out for no reason? Yeah, it absolutely will. It will give a, a great precedent, uh, establish a great precedent. But you know, I wish Mr. Raffensperger had not gone into a consent agreement with Stacey Abrams to say that we did not have to have signature verifications on these uh, mail-in ballots in Georgia. But that's something else to discuss. You know, what the Democrats are trying to do is, like you said, but, but you just to go close, just to drill down on that. In in terms of uh, the signature, they thought signature verification wasn't as firm as as uh, identification, right? They want you to have a physical ID or or some type of 
uh, utility yeah, bill. That, is that what they exchanged for? Of, well, that's some of what they exchanged for. But now with the new election laws in Georgia, they do have that stronger signature or identification verification that's going to be on those universal mail-in ballots. But the, the thing is, what you have to understand is the federal government does not have an enumerated power to uh, deal with elections. That's a state uh you know, responsibility. I mean, that falls under the 10th Amendment. Those uh, powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. And so when you look at elections, our states have the uh, enumerated power. They have the jurisdiction to do elections. And so for the DOJ to come down and say, all of a sudden, we're going to fight and go against your uh, election laws in Georgia, all Georgia has to do is say, uh, look at Delaware. Look at Colorado. Their election laws are much worse than ours. So are you going to bring a lawsuit against them? And again, they don't have a constitutional right to go down and, and challenge anybody's election law when they're saying, you got to have a picture ID. So I guess we don't have to have picture IDs, photo IDs anymore to travel on airplanes, to go into the Fox uh, headquarters up there in New York. Uh, so all those places are also racist, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring you to a couple other things, one of which is this this hammer thrower um, oh, who decided that she wanted to turn her back on the flag and put something over her head, a T-shirt that said activist athlete, and basically said, uh, don't, don't say I'm anti-American. I, uh, I love my people, which I'm not really sure what that means. But she says, I'm here to fight, for system, fight against systemic racism, and that's more important to me than the Olympics. I can't get my head around her line of thinking. Why would you want to compete for your team that represents a country that you think is so terrible that you are insulted when they play the national anthem. Well, that shows the delusion and the deranged nature of this young lady that was there. Uh, and, and the fact that she does not want, if she thinks that the Olympics are not as important as you know her stance, then she shouldn't go. Uh, be a member of the United States of America, our Olympic team, to represent us on an international stage. So uh, this is up to the U.S. Olympic uh, Committee. Should they allow people such as this to go and represent our country? I think most Americans would say no. Right, but you know what? She's going to walk away with an apparel deal. If not Nike, Adidas, I can't see Under Armour. But one of these companies is going to go, that's, that's, my, that's my hammer thrower. Uh, she represents anything that I don't like about the country, I'll sign her up. Now people know who Gwen Berry is, for me, for the wrong well, reason. And the president doesn't condemn, totally, that's her right. She's proud of her. Well, that's totally for the wrong reasons. And I think that we should be celebrating the young men and women who are out there wearing uh, name tags to say U.S. Marines, U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, U.S. Coast Guard, because they are proud of the, of our country. And sadly, we have this uh, this woke uh, progressive socialism, this CRT, this infiltrating into our military as well, trying to pit the members of our military against each other. This is this is a cancer that we've got to stop. We've got to end. And uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going to continue to speak out against it. They say that when you become a general, you have to be a politician. And there's a lot of great people who stop at lieutenant colonel because they like to be great servants. They don't want to play the politics games. You stopped at lieutenant colonel. I know lieutenant colonel um, – we had a few here said, said for something very similar. I want you to hear this exchange between General Milley and the congressman from Florida as he was asked about why people are writing, Senator Tom Cotton and Dan Crenshaw, about critical race theory being jammed down their throats. Listen to his response. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, 
But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. What's your reaction to white rage? You want to understand white rage? Well, I would have hoped that General Milley would have asked, you know, what was it, what was it that caused Antifa to go out and destroy and burn down police stations and to attack police and destroy buildings? Why is it that Black Lives Matter would be out there shouting that, uh, what do you want, dead cops, what do you want it now? Uh, what about that type of rage? Uh, what about the rage that kills, you know, young black men and, and even children every single weekend in these major urban population centers? So I'm sick and tired of this picking and choosing. And the thing that a lot of people do have to understand is that after you get promoted to Brigadier General, uh, the one-star general rank, uh, or rear admiral, every single other promotion, two-star, three-star, four-star, those are political appointments. And so you're right. The, the last real time you get to have and been with troops out on the ground at that lieutenant colonel, maybe the colonel level, full bird level uh, as a battalion commander or a brigade commander. But after that, uh, you lose that touch. You lose that sight. And the longer you stay up there in Washington, D.C. and some of these higher headquarters like the Pentagon, the more you become a servant to the political whims. And I don't want to see our military become like the old Soviet army where we have political officers and commissars and we are paying attention to certain ideologies. There is nothing that we can learn from a critical race theory. And to to try to have this discussed in the military that says that if you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're being oppressed. That's not how you build a cohesive fighting organization. No. And so I completely disagree with General Milley. Absolutely. In sports and in military, this, if you want anything that's race-free, it's that. It's, well, I'm fighting yeah. for the man or woman next to me. I'm, you're on my team. Uh, I got your back. You're in my military. I got your back. That's what we're taught from day one. Everybody knows it. Why are they trying to divide locker rooms and trying to divide the military? And just one word to General Milley. Those people that enter, breach the, the perimeter of the Capitol, they were, for the most part, Trump supporters. They weren't white supremacists. And they're Trump supporters of all walks of life, men, women, Hispanics, blacks, whites, majority of them are white, but majority of our country is white. It wasn't white rage. No, and and sadly to say, the only person that lost their life that day was a young woman who was a veteran from the United States Air Force. She was shot in the back, if I'm correct, Ashley Babbitt. But yet, for whatever reason, we don't know who the police officer was that shot her. And I think that that's something that we should know about, uh, and that should be part of the transparency of government. We cannot have a government that believes that they could just willy-nilly uh, shoot civilians. Yes. Did they breach the perimeter? Absolutely. But they didn't have arms, and so uh, that was a disproportionate response, and a young lady lost her life. Yeah, it's just amazing that uh, the, the, I think we Democrats do have a goal— 
Now, the, for the most part, the military is firmly Republican supported because Republicans put their mm-hmm. chips in the military. They, if you want, if Republicans were always negotiating to get the military funded, and they're trying to cut mm-hmm. that up. They're trying to they're trying to get some of that military support, and trying to uh, and trying to weaken it in the process. So uh, well, I, think I see the big yeah, picture. What I think they're trying—they're trying to align the military with their ideology, and we take an oath to the Constitution, our rule of law, to support and defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That includes, you know, people such as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and uh, if you know, we have a letter out there for military veterans to sign on. It's uh, on the committee to support and defend dot com. Uh, that speaks out against what we see happening in our country, happening in our military. We want veterans to, to stand up and have a voice. Absolutely. July 11th will be your last day as uh, running the Texas GOP, and then we'll look forward to your next move. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. God bless. All right. Uh, back with your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Just got a reminder, uh, brand new season of What Made America Great in a time in which everyone is deciding America is so bad on the left. Uh, we have four new episodes. Go to Fox Nation, where you're watching us right now, and download them. Tell me what you think. Go to briankilmeade.com. You can write me back. Let's go out to Jeff listening in North Carolina. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, I just uh, listened to the lieutenant colonel, and uh, I, I want to thank him for his service. But I, I'm a black veteran myself, and I, I served as a Marine uh, officer back in the, in, in the mid-'80s. But I, I just think that he's disingenuous and when he um, kind of skirts around what happened on January 6th and talks about BLM and Antifa. The colonel and I both were born during Jim Crow. So um, we have that in common. We're both black. We both served in the military. But my grandmother used to tell me, don't watch the puppet. Don't watch the puppet because the, the, it's the person behind. It's the puppeteer that's pulling the strings. And when people are paying you money to say certain things, that, that's what you do. You, you're paid to say certain things and make certain points. Um, if he wasn't getting paid by the Republican Party and as a private citizen and as a former lieutenant colonel, I would respect him more. He is paid to say things that are very disingenuous. I will say, th- I will say I this. Think- I will say you cannot question the colonel's integrity. He's shown it time and time again. He's taken on his own party. He's taken on Trump before. And he disagrees with Trump on Afghanistan. He disagrees with him on Syria. He uh, uh, 100% uh, disagrees with him on the, on the level of uh, a hit back when, when the Syrians use chemical weapons. So there's other times he disagreed. This is how he feels. And there's one thing about him. He's not getting paid. He actually earned that job. He actually won an election. So no one's telling him what to do. He's taking on his own party. I think he's going to run for governor against a Republican governor. Who's paying him for that? 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jennifer Griffin will be with us shortly. Fox News' national security correspondent. Bring us up close and personal to what is happening in Iraq that has that government condemning us for blowing up weapons depots which were pretty much uh, sponsored by and filled up by uh, Iranian-sponsored militias. And then we'll do a simulcast with Varney and company and take your calls. Uh, Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Progressives are sitting there looking at roads and bridges and airports and saying, we could have gotten out with Trump. We didn't elect you to give us what we could have gotten with President Trump. Trey Gowdy making a lot of sense. President Biden heads to Wisconsin to sell an infrastructure a bipartisan package. He's already can't sell his own party. Is this worth the time? Because we all know it's a deal that America needs. Number two. They know that voters, their number one issue is crime. The Democrats know that. And what is their way of uh, responding? It is to lie. It is to gaslight. You had Jen Psaki saying today, oh, no, it's actually the Republicans defunded the police. Uh, Fascinating and totally not true. The data does not lie. Cut police force and their budget and get a rise in crime nationwide. That's exactly what happened. But now Democrats realizing this is bad for them are blaming Republicans. Will that fiction actually sell? Number one. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country, haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. Yeah, they, they're allowed to do it. But why would you do it? Why would you win a medal in the U.S. Olympic trials, get to the Tokyo, uh, get eligible for the Tokyo Games and then turn your back on the American flag and put something over your head? Add to that an NBA legend. Uh, goes on a delusional racist rant against a Hall of Fame coach that coached him for over 10 years. When does all this stop? We'll discuss that in a second, but first things first. One of the things that you might have missed was uh, under President Biden, there was airstrikes in blowing up weapons depots inside Iraq. Uh, Here's what the president said yesterday, cut 30. I directed last night's airstrikes targeting... uh, um, sites used by the Iranian-backed militia group responsible for recent attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq. And uh, I have that authority under Article 2, and even those up in the Hill who are reluctant to uh, acknowledge that have acknowledged that's the case. Uh, And that is. And some of them, Senator Murphy, uh, said, wait a second, we need to be brief before you hit like that. I think presidents need freedom to act like that. But what went into it? Jennifer Griffin knows. She joins us now from Washington. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, good. So what did they hit? And then what happened after that? Well, I think what's really interesting is you have to sort of go back and look at what led up to this moment. And five times since April, Iranian-backed Shia militias have been sending these uh, rigged drones that have explosives on them on kind of kamikaze missions into bases where the U.S. has 
CIA personnel, U.S. Special Operations Forces. These are uh, residual forces inside Iraq who are there to basically keep a lid on things and keep an eye on ISIS and make sure ISIS doesn't regroup. Remember, the Iraqi government invited the U.S. military in to help once they were almost overrun and the capital nearly fell to ISIS. So those forces uh, keep getting sort of probed and nobody has been killed in those attacks but or injured. But uh, the U.S. felt that they needed to, the Biden administration felt they needed to send a deterrent message to Iran to stop backing these militias and also to the Iraqi government, to the Shia forces in the Iraqi government put a lid on it. Stop, you know, targeting our forces. So they chose three sites and they chose two that are inside Syria and one. And what was unusual this time is that one was inside Iraq. And they said that these were facilities being used by the Shia backed militias, the Iranian backed militias uh, to uh, to rig up these drones. Uh, Now, that created a reaction within the Iraqi government, the Iraqi prime minister, who's generally an ally of the U.S. government, had to come out and make a pretty stern statement saying that the U.S. with these airstrikes was uh, violating Iraqi sovereignty. Uh, People I've talked to here in Washington at the Pentagon say that this is posturing by the prime minister. He has to say it for his domestic audience. But the bottom line is, then what happened, you heard uh, threats by not only the Iranian uh, spokesman for the foreign ministry, but also from the the Shia groups of um, they call themselves the popular militias inside Iraq. And, you know, within hours, uh, they were rocketing a U.S. US uh, military personnel who were standing guard at that, those oil fields in, in, in eastern Syria. And so then the U.S. military had to fire back with artillery. No one was injured. But, but it's, this is an escalatory situation that uh, it doesn't seem like Iran or the militias are getting the deterrent mission a message that the Biden administration wants to send. And so the question is, where does this end? And you have a lot of debate on the Hill today and in coming weeks about whether it's time to roll back the authorization for the use of military force, the AUMFs that were passed, you know, in 1991 after the first Gulf War, as well as in 2002 ahead of the Iraq invasion. And so there's a real debate in Washington about the whether Congress should be more involved when we are bombing countries. Absolutely. That's one thing. The other thing is, and this is just take a real a couple of steps back. I did not know Iran had armed drones. Well, that's that's what we saw. Remember, we saw with the um, Aramco strikes against the Saudi oil fields. The, those were Iranian drones that were that were firing uh, that were you know launching attacks. I thought they were rockets. Uh, Saudi targets. Wow, I didn't there know were that. Ro- there were rockets, but I believe um, that there were that there were drones as well. So this drone issue, we've heard, um, it, you know, the head of U.S. Central Command as well as other top generals say this was their biggest fear that Iran had developed these drones. They were starting to use them. They were sending them on probing missions, and that uh, and so this is an attempt to deter them. But I I think this was a very calibrated strike. I don't think that the militias lost uh, very much in terms of personnel or or um, facilities. And so 
you know, it just it just the question is, what will deter Iran? What will deter these militias? And you also have to look at the backdrop of what's happening this week, Brian. Uh, the, The Biden administration is trying to enter another round of nuclear talks with Iran. You have a hardliner who has just been elected president inside Iran. Uh, He won't take over until August. But a lot of this is the U.S. messaging through airstrikes, through taking certain Iranian uh, websites offline. Remember that we had that news last week. And, and, And so the question is, is this all part of the negotiations uh, over the nuclear deal? But you also had the Israeli president at the White House yesterday. That's where you heard Biden make that statement. And the Israelis are really trying to say uh, to the U.S. they don't think these negotiations are going to work. Here's what Dan Hoffman, uh, as you know, he was former CIA station chief, knows the region well. Cut 32. That statement from the government of Iraq just reflects the extent to which the government of Iran is influencing Iraq's foreign policy, and we've seen this been going on for a decade or so. I think what we're seeing now is Iran is testing the United States. Uh, This is a very similar pattern that we've seen before, a violence that escalates with Iranian proxy militias attacking our forces. U.S. forces in northeast Syria reportedly came under attack just this evening. It happened in the Trump administration until the United States achieved escalation dominance with the successful lethal strikes against uh, Quds Force General Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Mohandas, the uh, militia leader. I don't, it's hard to believe that we'll go to that level again, and there's only one Soleimani, uh, for sure. So I'm just right. curious. But remember, but I'll tell you what's interesting, because, you know, Dan Hoffman and I uh, speak a lot, and we're um, and, and I, I agree with his assessment there. But I think it's also important always in the Middle East to open up the aperture and go back a little further. And remember that when the Trump administration had to um, had to respond uh, with that strike against Qasem Soleimani, that was to send a deterrent message. It was also because Soleimani was a very bad guy who had killed Americans over the years and was planning another another attack based on information that I've you know had shared with me, another attack on U.S. forces and U.S. bases in Iraq. Uh, But if you back up, they had to send that deterrent message because you'll remember when uh, when uh, President Trump, uh, they the Iranians shot down an American drone, a very valuable American drone in the in the Persian Gulf. And the president and U.S. Central Command, there were missiles ready to be launched at Iranian Iranian targets inside Iran. And that was called off at the last minute. And that sort of gave the Iranians a sense that they could keep going and keep pushing our buttons. And so the deterrent message was received, I think, loud and clear with the killing of Soleimani. Now the question is, what's the next move? And and they're they're testing Biden. They're just like they tested President Trump. And they they will keep poking. Uh, you'll remember those tankers that suddenly had holes in them that were blown from limpet mines that that the that were traced back to Iran uh, in the Gulf. Uh, they are these proxies that Iran has backed for years in various parts of the Middle East are testing the U.S. and their and their allies. And lastly, I just am so concerned about the way we're leaving Afghanistan, and it seems as though we're just leaving a huge void there. And the Afghan government to twist. Do you know if Gahani, when he met with the president on Friday, got anything? 
Well, I think they probably got some money, but money is not going to solve the problems in Afghanistan. As we've seen, you know, a trillion dollars and, and years of, of investment in that country. Um, on the one hand, it did help, uh, you know, by overthrowing the Taliban. The biggest thing that the U.S. did and the thing we should be most proud of is that girls went back to school. Women were allowed to come out of their houses. And, and there was a little bit of, uh, you know, there, there was that was progress. However, what we're seeing right now, and, and remember, there was nobody in the national security establishment, civilian or military, who recommended pulling all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. That was President Biden's decision, and that is a decision that we will not know the outcome of, but we are already seeing the Taliban take over uh, dozens of district centers. Uh, women who I speak to in Afghanistan are extremely concerned. Journalists are being targeted and beheaded already and killed by the Taliban. Uh, it is a very dangerous situation. And then, of course, we've been uh, reporting repeatedly for the last four years about the responsibility the U.S government has to the Afghan translators and their families, the risks they took to help the U.S. military and the U.S. government uh, for the last 20 years. There are uh, 18,000, uh, they call them SIVs, special immigrant visa uh, recipients, who are Afghan combat translators who are under threat from the Taliban, and the U.S. has a responsibility to get them out. I just, I, that too, but that's almost like we're giving up on the country, which is nuts. It wouldn't have taken so much to hold on and give them more time to stand up on their own, even if we gradually lessened the payments we were doing. Uh, and Trump, Donald Trump started it, and and he was... To a degree, the military pushed back at him, and they were able to convince yeah, him. Mm-hmm. And but he, if Donald Trump gave Joe Biden cover to do this, well, it's something Biden had wanted to do back, you know, in know. Uh, you know. So it, it, but they certainly both presidents uh, they took these decisions against the recommendations of the military and other national security figures. And unfortunately, uh, we're in, um, you know, the principle of unintended consequences in the Middle East always, it usually, uh, it never uh, leads towards towards good things or progress. And it often means that the U.S. military has to go back in. It also doesn't make sense to me, Brian, that you would lose all of your American listening posts and bases in such a key country. You know, Afghanistan may not seem, you know, most people want to, most Americans would love to see the war end. Everybody in the military would love to see that the war end. But the bottom line is with an investment of 2,500 troops, we had listening posts, we had a CIA outpost, an ability to look at Pakistan with its nuclear pro- our program to be north of Iran. I mean, look at the bordering countries there, China, Iran, Pakistan, and we're just up and leaving and losing that ability to see what's going on there. And, and you've heard the testimony from uh, Defense Secretary Austin and General Milley saying that they believe that within the next two years that that ISIS and al-Qaeda will regroup there. That's just crazy to me that we have those intelligence assessments and and we're losing our ability to to act and react in Afghanistan. And that's true. And you're too non-political. You're just thinking about uh, America's security and you're 100 percent right. Uh, Jennifer, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we'll take your calls. I know you have a lot to say. You could also write me at briankillme.com. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, and we're not just talking about this. Scottie Pippen, the latest American legend, called crying out race in America. When does it stop?
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. By turning her back on the flight, when you turn your back on something, that means there's no hope. There's done. Like every every mob move we've ever seen, I got to turn my back on you now, Jimmy. You know, yes. it's over. Like, it's over. You can't fix that. So that was what my issue was. Uh, that is Tyrus, of course. And he actually threw the hammer in, in high school, he said. And he was talking about Gwen Berry, who throws the hammer and seemed to have qualified for the Olympics, turned her back on the American flag and says, how dare you say I don't love my country? I just I'm standing up for systemic racism, not on the podium. You don't to me. That's pretty obvious. But of course, everyone's going to clamor to say she has that right. She has that right. But good news is the IOC prevents you from doing any political demonstration on the medal stand. Should you get there? Jen Psaki weighed in and you would think the president of the United States would put a put a lid on this. Certainly the last one would, not this one. Here is uh Jen Psaki talking about uh talking about what the president's reaction would have been, she thinks, but she didn't talk to him directly. But although she's reading the statement, cut one. I haven't spoken to the president specifically about this, but I know he's incredibly proud to be an American uh, and has great respect for the anthem and all that it represents, especially for our, our men and women serving in uniform all around the world. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country, haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. She was upset that they played the national anthem because they told her not to uh, She because she stood up uh, and made some demonstration in the Pan Am games. She thought they were playing it just to test her, to bait her into doing something. No, they played it once a, once a day during the U.S. trials. They just played it once. And she says, it's not her anthem. You really? You were pulling for the British in 1812? Is that why? You were, you were upset that the that the we actually held off the British in the Battle of Baltimore? I didn't know that upset you. I mean, my goodness, what is going on here? This isn't 1860. It's 2021. It's incredible uh, what's taking place and why the president can't condemn it. Here's Wilford Riley, a professor, Kentucky uh, State professor, cut seven. Frankly, seems a little iffy. I mean, from Phil Jackson, the, the shamanistic coach, uh, the NBA is not a, not a well-known white-dominated environment. But th- this does sort of sum up our modern moment where things from the past couple of decades are brought into the lens of race. Uh, only Scotty and Phil really know what happened. I don't necessarily see that. And that would bring us into our other topic that we're talking about, Scotty Pippen calling Phil Jackson a racist. The most successful coach in NBA history, coaching almost all black players, a racist. My head is spinning about what's going on in this country. We're tearing each other apart from the inside. Back with your calls in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
by saying a racial move, you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. Do you think Phil was or is? Oh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? Who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that. I well, think he tried to expose Kobe in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach, and you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle, and everything stays within the circle because that's what team is about. But you as the head coach open it up, and now you go out and you try to belittle, at that time, probably one of the greatest players in the game. So Dan Patrick doing a good job realizing he's got a huge story. Scottie Pippen looking to blow up. Phil Jackson, the winningest coach in NBA history, but you bring racist into it because you because you called out Kobe Bryant. You think if it was a white player, Danny Ainge or Larry Bird, that he felt it was acting selfishly? It's been a while since I read that book, but he did talk about Kobe being all about himself. He kind of took Shaq's side in the book. Him and Shaq had this big rivalry. I believe Shaq is black. I'm just trying to find somebody. I did see him last time. I didn't ask him, but I came to that conclusion. So I don't know. Did Phil Jackson act racist to Shaq? Oh, just to Kobe. I know it's not in vogue. I mean, he passed away tragically, but there were a lot of critics of Kobe, that he was a Michael Jordan wannabe, uh, that he was too selfish and too demanding on other players. I don't know. I didn't play with him, but I was pretty in awe of what he accomplished and his drive, obviously. But I can't believe what Dan Patrick's got now. He's at 60-something years old, and Scottie Pippen is going to melt down. Cut nine. Well, it feels like he's disloyal. I don't know if that makes him a racist. Well, that's your way of putting it out, and I have my way. I was in the locker room with him. I was in practices with him. You're looking for him afar. Okay. So, a little defiant, but Dan Patrick not backing off. Cut 10. I thought in the huddle... Mike says, I'm going to throw you the ball. You'll be open at the felon. Phil had nothing to do with that. Do you know all those cameras that's sitting in that huddle who they was working for? You know who Michael was speaking to when he said that, right? That was planned. That was speaking to the camera. That wasn't speaking out of what we're going to have to do, what the play is going to be. That was speaking to the camera. Had uh, John Stockton not came down, trust me, that was building his own documentary because he knew he was controlling the cameras. You understand English? Yeah. All those cameras that was working were working basically for Michael Jordan, not for the Chicago Bulls. That was not naturally spoken. That was rehearsed. So he's saying that when he passed off to Steve Kerr, who hit the winning shot, that was all rehearsed. So Steve Kerr is a white guy. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to follow the train of thought. And I'm just outraged that race is figuring into everything, even something that we thought it was free of race. In fact, Michael Jordan said white people buy shoes, too. And I was uh, hosting a show with Jim Brown, and Jim Brown was aggravated at Michael Jordan. He said he's not losing his, using his platform enough for other causes. He's not even looking into who's making his Nike shoes. I mean, it's slave labor or it's uh, these children making his shoes in Vietnam or Thailand. He wouldn't even look into it. And he would not bring up race. He just wanted to play. He's like, don't, don't bring that up. Let's just play. And now in 2021, when things are better than they were even in 1990, you have a star from the 90s calling out Michael Jordan, saying it's all manufactured, a documentary is manufactured. Okay, six championships. And now you say that, call it saying Tony Kukoc, they call the play for the white rookie Tony Kukoc. Not him, because Phil Jackson's racist. 
We're not done yet. Cut 11. I think my biggest thing with the documentary was uh, Michael, who didn't play in 94, who was selling a video based on The Last Dance, was something that he sort of tried to pull out to show that our winning was all about me. And this is what everybody else did when I uh, wasn't around. I have news for you. They didn't win. You didn't win without Jordan. It's not his fault. He didn't script your loss. He wasn't the one who said, sit on the bench if they don't call your name and pout and become a a national joke, even though you're one of the top players to ever play. I I know we're not a bunch of sports fans, and this isn't all sports radio. I used to do all sports radio. But this is leaking into our – sports is leaking into our lives now. And now they're even – overturning a great era in sports, the Michael Jordan era. And he's trying to say, Michael Jordan, not that great. It's all scripted. And the whole message of the last dance, what you and I loved, thought it was so cool because there's nothing else on, no live sporting events, unless you like repeat uh, showings of axe throwing from Las Vegas. Now that wasn't any good. That was all, that was a scripted documentary like the reality shows we watch. Cut 12. Have you talked to Michael since the documentary? No. Not really talk. We kind of talked during it a little bit, but not, no. Do you want to? No, I mean, I think we've both moved on in our life. There's nothing to be uh, holding on to that went on 20 plus years ago. There's nothing for us to talk about that. I mean, we could talk about our life and our families and our golf game or something, but we ain't got to go back and clarify nothing that happened in the 90s. Well, now you do. Really? You just called him out. I mean, why wouldn't he come out and say something about that? So he was upset by the way the whole thing came out. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea why he said he came off bad. They just relived the fact that he never got off the bench because they didn't call his name for the final play. And they end up losing that game, I believe, if I remember correctly. But they certainly didn't win a championship without Jordan. That's not Phil Jackson's fault because you're black. I don't, I don't get it. But now Jackson's going to have to speak out an answer, don't you think? And then other people are going to have to make assessments. Are you good friends with Scottie Pippen? Or are you going to tell the facts that race had nothing to do with it? That if he was a racist, he wouldn't have got a job at the Lakers. Uh, they wouldn't have begged him to stay uh, stay there, and he didn't. Even though he could, he said, I'd like to stay, but my back is killing me. I'd like to stick around and just go to home games. Nobody had a problem with him. I, 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 I'm just stunned by it. Let's move on. Real quick, on, on, and I'm going to be joining Stuart Varney in about 10 minutes. Crime in this country is out of control. We all agree on that. What I can't believe what we don't agree on is whose idea it was to defund the police and make crime and punishment old news. Whose idea was it to elect uh, liberal attorney generals, district attorneys, who don't want to prosecute any crime? Whose idea was it to get rid of cash bail? So almost barring any violent crime, you're pretty much going to be processed and let out on your own recognizance, making cops not want to make any arrests. Whose idea was it to to fund the police? No question about it. It's Democrat. Democrat mayors, Democrat congressmen and women, and activists. Look at everybody with Black Lives Matter. L.A. mayor. Eric Garcetti oversaw the uh, the dismantling of a police force. He cut $150 million out of the police budget. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio cut out $1 billion from the police budget. If you combine all the other police budgets that were cut from Minneapolis on down, it's about $840 million. Now, the one thing is consistent. If you look at Garcetti, you look at de Blasio, you look at the mayor of Austin, Texas, who cut $20 million out. What do they have in common? Democrat, 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 right? Cory Bush, quote, 
on Barack Obama coming out and saying defund the police is not a good term. He says this, defund the police is not a slogan. It's a mandate for keeping black people alive. Okay. And then Jamal Bowman, the new congressman, defund the police and defund the system is terrorizing the black community. Well, now the way you stand, it's pretty clear. It's the Democrats that wanted to fund the police. That's not what they're saying now. You had Cedric Richmond on Sunday say, well, that $1.9 trillion bill that no Republican supported, they could have used that money to, to refund the police and no Republican supported. So they are the ones guilty of that. Do you believe this? They are, it's as if, and here's my analogy, which is so black and white. If someone told you that Donald Trump was against the wall at the border, what would you tell him? I don't care if you're Bill Maher or if you're Mark Levin. No, no, that's not true. Donald Trump would ran on building the wall. If there's anything that defines the Republican Party, moderate and conservative, it is law and order. But listen to this. Cut 13. The president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president, a lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill, could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. That funding has been used to keep cops on the beat. Um, I have no idea if anybody used it for cops on the beat, but they're hitting their badge because you defamed, uh, you diminished, and then you disempowered them. Miranda Devine of the New York Post, Cut 17. Well, they've seen the polls and they know that they're in trouble. They know that voters, their number one issue is crime. The Democrats know that. And what is their way of uh, responding? Not to change their policies, which they know are deeply unpopular. It is to lie. It is to gaslight. It is this staggering dishonesty that has become the hallmark of the Biden administration, I'm sorry to say. Uh, you had Jen Psaki, the White House spokeswoman, saying today that, uh, oh, no, it, it's actually the Republicans' fault. The Republicans defunded the police. The Republicans uh, are the ones that have caused this crime problem. Um, it's so breathtaking, it, you almost have no defense against it. It is breathtaking, but please don't tell me you buy into it. And I know there's nobody who's even saying that seriously. AOC on the record. It's bad politics. James Clyburn said it. But it's not necessarily bad policy, according to Democrats. I'll be on with Stuart Varney. You'll get to see me on FBN and Fox Nation when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to be joined Stuart Varney shortly on FBN. Uh, then we'll take your calls and try to squeeze them in before we're done. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're talking about a bunch of things, including uh, crime, this infrastructure bill. I haven't gotten heavily into, but I've never seen a guy with so much experience shoot himself in the foot so often. And Joe Biden did just that because he went out and talked about the bipartisan deal. Two hours later, he said, I'm going to cut another deal on the side with everything negotiated out of it for Republicans. And now Mitch McConnell says, I cannot possibly buy into it. So let's listen in. Brian Kilmeade is here. All right, Brian, just give me a couple of seconds here. I want to talk soccer. I want to talk about this great game, France, the favourites to win the Euro Championship, playing Switzerland, very much the underdogs. They fought it out for two hours, 
and were tied 3-3. They had to go to a penalty kick shootout. France's star player, that guy, Kylian Mbappe, he stepped up to the last kick of the game. He missed. See that? He missed. One of the world's best players on one of the world's best teams missed the shot. France out. Switzerland goes through. Brian, you had to be watching that. Tell well, me, you were watching that. Were I, you? I was actually watching my daughter's game at the time, which I think is more important. Uh, she was in the regional finals, but it was soccer. So at least that. But I saw the replay. And if you look at it, too, I've never been comfortable with the way the uh, soccer is determined to break ties with penalty kicks. I mean, can you imagine a basketball game being determined oh, on free throws? Brian, but number two uh, is they blew with Brian, three one Hold on. Kilmeade, hold on, please. I'm sorry to interrupt the great Brian Kilmeade. But I brought you on the show, and I was going to, you know, expound about this fabulous game. And you're pouring cold water on the penalty kick shootout? It was a fantastic game. It was really gripping. It enhances soccer as a sport all around the world. Well, I mean, the game and Euro and the crowds being there and England playing Germany next, fantastic. And in the round of 16, I get it. To see great players go back to the national team and then take on their teammates, it's fantastic. But if you watch soccer, there's something endemically wrong with you play a game for, what, 120? How many minutes was it? 120 minutes? 120 By the way, minutes. France had a 3-1 lead. That's the bigger story. Yeah. How is a reigning world champion? Do you let Switzerland back in the game up 3-1? And how do you not have sudden death in overtime? But you just cannot, you should not be determining the outcome of a major sport by just one simple skill. And well, the way you do it, the break ties is a different conversation. Look, it, take a, a player what? off the field. If you, that's not the way to do it. You've got to have a fairly quick ending. You play for two hours, 120 minutes. You're still tied. What are you going to do? You've got to end it quickly because the players who win have got to move on to another game in a couple of days. You can't just let this game go on for hours and hours and hours. Stuart, does the Brian. better team win penalty kicks? That's not the point. I thought the point was to have the better team win. I mean, the imagine if the is, Yankees and uh, Red Sox are tied, so let's have a home run hitting contest. No, that's not the sport. And believe me, I've been in soccer since I was four years old. I've never been comfortable of ending, ending games like this. But the good news is we're playing, we're playing sports with people in the audience. And a country against country, it's great. All right, I'm going to move on because I, I can see we're not going to get much enthusiasm out of you for the great uh, soccer game yesterday. So I'm moving on. I just hope you're going to watch, if you can, England play Germany, 12 noon today, ESPN. Yes. Yes, good. And I, I, I await your interesting comments on that. Have hopefully, you, have it's you not dis hopefully it's not decided by a, fire, a penalty kick shootout. I I'm moving so. on. I'm sure you saw this. The White House defending Olympic athlete Gwen Berry after she turned her back on it. Roll tape, please. I haven't spoken to the president specifically about this. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. OK, Brian, let's see if we can get agreement on this. If you can't represent your country and your flag at the Olympics, then why go? Are we in sync on this one, Brian? Absolutely, and it's unbelievable. By the way, Jen Psaki, for somebody who didn't talk to the president, she was reading something. Am I correct? What are you reading? Whose comments were they if they're not the president's comments? Uh, the president would say, even though he loves the country. Here's the thing. Do you know any country that's perfect? So all Olympians that are going to compete love everything their country has done in the past. They agree on every single war and conflict. My goodness, Abraham Lincoln was against our war in Mexico. 
So it doesn't mean that Lincoln's a bad American or our country's a bad place. We debate it. But if you are at the point where you want to turn your back on the anthem and think it was a dirty trick that we played it, I think you're in the wrong country. And I yeah. welcome you to try another country out. The problematic past exists. I got it. But you know what we were doing when we were doing a lot of the bad things? Most of it was great things, including keeping the world yeah. free and giving an example of democracy and constantly getting better. I don't understand but I sadly think we're in a world right now, Stuart, where she's going to end up with a big, uh, uh, a big uh, yeah, endorsement deal. She get a deal. contract. She will. I'm, look, I'm sorry I'm out of time, Brian. Hard break coming up. I'll stay away from penalty kick shootouts in future. Absolutely. Kill me. You are basically all right. Thank Still you. a big show. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. That's one problem with soccer. And you know, believe me, I sit there in the World Cup and I'm watching the World Cup, and everyone's like, "Well, that's a European sport. You're not going to feel that way." In the next men's World Cup, you, uh, they did not, believe it or not, our guys did not qualify for the Olympics. An embarrassment. They didn't qualify for the last World Cup. An embarrassment. But that's going to change, and it has changed. They have like seven world-class players now on the men's side. We've never had that before. We had Landon Donovan, Alexi Lalas, uh, Marcelo Balboa, in and out. But now we have about seven legitimate uh, 20-somethings and I think a teenager uh, playing top-level European soccer along with the quality of the MLS, which gets better every year. But the women are basically returning the same World Cup team. They're getting older. And I fully expect, unless the IOC is going to enforce it, Megan Rapino to take a knee, too. Because she evidently doesn't feel our country lives up to her high ideals. Because we watched her curse her way in the Canyon of Heroes with a bunch of little girls around. And we know that was really fantastic and a great example. Uh, appreciate everybody uh, listening. This is what I want you to do. Go to BrianKilmeadShow.com or to the podcast. And if you want any of my books, including Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, The Antithesis of Forget the Alamo, which is now out and highlighted in Time Magazine, go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. I could sign it and send it, uh, as well as all the other books, something to read for this summer, including we have young adult versions. So if you want your fifth to seventh grader to read it, it's there for you, too. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Keep it here. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Trace Gallagher is going to be coming off his TV set and coming on our show. Uh, excuse me, he's going to be, yeah, uh, right after he and Dana Prino, he's filling in for Bill Hammer today, so he'll come in here. You know, he's normally based out on the West Coast, can't get, get his perspective. On L.A. County now saying, we might go back to the masks. Isn't that great? Because of this variant. The variant, which, by the way, the vaccine protects us against. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Progressives are sitting there looking at roads and bridges and airports and saying, we could have gotten that with Trump. We didn't elect you to give us what we could have gotten with President Trump. Joe Biden heads to Wisconsin to sell us on a bipartisan infrastructure package. By the way, he, he cannot sell to his own party. Is this even worth our time? I know we need it. I just hard to believe that they'll pass it. 
Number two. They know that voters, their number one issue is crime. The Democrats know that. And what is their way of uh, responding? It is to lie. It is to gaslight. You had Jen Psaki saying today, oh, no, it, it's actually the Republicans defunded the police. Uh, the data doesn't lie. Cut police force and their budgets and get a rise in crime nationwide. Go figure. Now Dems are trying to blame Republicans? Will this fiction actually sell? Number one. He would also say, of course, that part of that pride in our country means recognizing there are moments where we are, as a country, haven't lived up to our highest ideals. And it means respecting the right of people granted to them in the Constitution to peacefully protest. Yeah, here we go. The divide widens. First, an Olympian turns her back on the American flag and says, what is the big deal? What's nothing to see here? And an NBA legend goes on a delusional racist rant against a former NFL coach, excuse me, NBA coach who happens to be the winningest in history. When does this all stop? Speaking of when does it all stop, what about election controversy? It seems to never stop, even though we're a year and a half away from an election. I don't have to tell that to Brad Raffensperger. Uh, He's the Georgia State Secretary of State, and he finds himself in the eye of storm today uh, because they decide to rein in some of the rules that were put on the books for the pandemic compensation. And when they start reining stuff in and clarifying things, they're called Jim Crow, racist. You don't want black people or minorities to vote. Is that really the case? Now they're being sued by the Attorney General, the Department of Justice, for uh, their new election rules. Brad Raffensperger, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Hey, Brad. That intro. I mean, it's unbelievable. In a way, I'm relieved because I believe you want this fight's going to work out for you guys. You're you're the attorney. Do you agree? Well, I'm actually the Secretary of State. I'm not an attorney. I'm an engineer, but. Uh, we have some great attorneys, and we will meet them and beat them in a court of law. We have the truth on our side. Because what is the reality about what changed between 2022 and the few and down the line and 2020 about the Georgia election rules? F- fundamentally. Well, what we, the, the, the number one issue is there's been so much controversy over signature match. Uh, it was what was in place, and we're now moving away from that, which is very subjective, to an objective measure driver's license with photo ID. It's what they're using actually in Minnesota right now, run by the Democrats. It's used currently in red states and blue states. It's uh, nonpartisan, bipartisan. It doesn't matter what demographic group you're from. It works. You also have drop boxes, but you eliminated the plethora of drop boxes. How many are allowed? Well, there's one allowed per every 100,000 people in every county, at least one per county. And it'll actually be mandated that every county needs to have drop boxes. Last year during the pandemic, 139 of our 159 counties did do drop boxes, but 20 counties chose not to do drop boxes. So now it'll be a uniform process based on population. So that's interesting. So Jonathan Turley, I want you to hear first Merrick Garland. What are your thoughts when Merrick Garland said this last week about your state? The Department of Justice is suing the state of Georgia. Our complaint alleges that recent changes to Georgia's election laws were enacted with the purpose of denying or abridging the right of black Georgians to vote on account of their race or color in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Where we believe the civil rights of Americans have been violated, we will not hesitate to act. So what are your thoughts when you saw that announcement? It's offensive. If you look at what we've done, it's going with photo ID. This is the same argument they used 10 years ago when we did photo ID for in-person voting. They said it would hurt certain demographic groups. It has not. In fact, if you look at polling, 
all groups, Democrats and Republicans across all demographics, like to have photo ID because they know then you can actually identify who the voter is that's either going to vote absentee or vote in person. The rule, the reality on snacks and water given to people online, what did you actually put in the books? What we said is that there's no politicking with 150 feet. What we saw last election cycle, people were coming within that 150-foot zone with a bottle of water, but using that as an excuse to do some politicking. And they had on T-shirts. You can you know, de- definitely tell what side of the aisle that they were coming from. And so we're saying no politicking with 150 feet. Outside 150 feet, you can do water, snacks. That's allowed. As long as you're not trying to buy votes, that's still illegal and always will be illegal. What about people that say that you don't allow enough early voting? Uh, we have we just increased it by one day, so we now have 17 days mandatory across the entire state, and any county that would like to can add, add two days a Sunday. Compare that to Delaware. You know, we have nearly twice to three times the amount of early voting that they have in the state of Delaware. And what about the uh, no-excuse absentee balloting? We kept that in place. Uh, it's been in place since 2005. So I want you to hear with Jonathan Turley on his first blush, the assessment of what could happen. And I think that they may ultimately regret this move. It could indeed uh, clarify this issue in the way that the Biden administration does not want. One of the issues that the court may ultimately amplify is that elections were left in the Constitution to the states. Alexander Hamilton actually wrote in the Federalist Papers, imagine if the federal government was to take over the management of elections. And he basically said we would all object. Uh, well, that's what's what's happening now in Congress. They're trying to essentially federalize elections. And I think they're going to have a serious pushback on this lawsuit. You could have a ruling by the next presidential election that runs against the narrative of the Biden administration. In which they want to say is Jim Crow 2.0. And it's not. And it's an insult for the president to get involved in a way a pundit would. As far as you know, you've, got, you've taken fire from President Trump. And now you're taking it from President Biden. Well, if you also look to what Mr. Turley was saying, the federal laws are some of the biggest impediments to actually allowing us to clean up our voter rolls. With the NVRA that was passed in 1993, once we are in election year, we ineffectively uh, cannot update our voter rolls because we roll from a primary election to a primary runoff, which we typically have in Georgia. Then we go to the fall election, and then we also then have you know, runoffs in the fall. And so we, last time we could do an update on our voter rolls in 2020 was in February. We just, you know, went ahead and updated our voter rolls. So federal laws actually hurt us in the state of Georgia from maintaining clean voter lists. Didn't you all just clean up your voting list? Didn't, it, didn't you get accused of uh, purging 100,000 people from your voting rolls? Could you tell us the truth on uh, that? Uh, those people don't live here in Georgia, and not a single one of them voted last year. And so if people that have been on that list for about five years, six years now, and we're, you know, cleaning up the list and making sure it's accurate as possible. We also joined a a state by state uh, consortium. We we, uh, are in with 30 other states. And when anyone moves to those member states and they'll register over there, let's say they move to Texas, we get a notification about that so we can remove them from our voter rolls. It's called ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center. Do you know, uh, I want you to hear what Christopher Carr says, your Georgia Attorney General, on what's going on with this uh, with this Merrick Garland lawsuit, Cut 41. This is just a blatantly political lawsuit. In fact, I've said it's not a lawsuit. It's a campaign flyer. The Department of Justice is simply playing politics. They are not upholding 
the rule of law. And, and, and this blatantly political action taken by the United States Department of Justice is factually, legally, and constitutionally wrong. Anybody who will actually read the Georgia law sees it strengthens security, it expands access, and it improves transparency. And in the end, if, if, if you're allowed to prove this in court, uh, that would prove everything and also open the door for other people to do things that they maybe were hesitant to do because of all the controversy that came your way. Do you agree, Brad? Yes, I agree with what our attorney general just said. I was on a call yesterday morning with our attorneys uh, discussing this case, and we're going to have a robust defense. We are going to win on this, and that's why we're excited because we can settle these issues. We've been when I was elected in 2019, I immediately had about eight cases. Uh, right now, we have another eight cases from th this law that we just passed. At one point, we had a pushing about 15 cases. We've been beating these cases back from left-wing groups, Stacey Abrams, and everyone that's on her side of the aisle, well-funded by these liberal liberal action groups. And we're looking forward to finally getting some resolution. I think SB 202, when it you know, gets to court, we are going to prevail. And that way, I think it really sets the table for elections going forward. And do you know the schedule of when you get, you get a chance to put your, court, uh, put your case in court? Well, as soon as possible. Uh, I know that we have one case that uh, I inherited from, uh, you know, Governor Kaplan. He was secretary that goes back to 2016. So some of these cases do hang around for a long period of time. So we're not going to have a resolution before 2022. But uh, as long as there's uh, no injunction to stop us from incorporating this and utilizing the law, we'll continue to, you know, you know, move forward. Brad, do you ever ask yourself why you wanted this job? <laughs> Well, it's always good to have someone in a position that will stand for the truth, make sure that we have honest and fair elections. And I think I've shown that I'll stand in the gap. I'll take the flack from both sides and make sure we have honest and fair elections. And that's what people elected me for. Now, I know you're not into the, the Senate side. But a lot of people are intrigued about what's happening in terms of running against Raphael Warnock, who's up in 2022 as a Republican struggle to get the Senate back. Herschel Walker's thinking about it. Who else is in the fray? Oh, we have many candidates in the fray. At the end of the day, I think we're going to have a really strong candidate, and it'll be exciting, and uh, we'll win back that seat. And I think that we're going to have some other successes throughout the country. I'm looking forward to that. Brad, go get him. Brad Faffensberger, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. I think it's a fight they want. Listen, if someone keeps calling you out, calling you out, and you know you did nothing wrong, okay, give me my chance to say my side to my face. How's that? And then we'll do it in court, and we just hope the judge is fair. That's all. Because when it goes George's way, they're going to say, well, it must be a Trump judge. And I have no idea what judge they're going to get. Uh, but my hope is people start believing the verdict in an elections again, because I think it's dangerous. Um, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take your calls next. Trace Gallagher at the bottom of the hour. Uh, it's your chance to be heard by a nationwide audience, uh, one of the fastest growing in the country. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. In survival center, let's say. First of all, it was away from Washington, 240 miles. 
And you don't want to be close to Washington. We're assuming the, the fundamental assumption is Washington is the primary target. So you want to be out of town. You want to be away from the fallout. Uh, and there's a railroad line that goes right to Union Station from here. So in the 50s, when they were planning this, the rail line was the connection. Uh, the other thing was, yes, there's this physical facility, but it was maintained in a constant state of operational readiness for 30 years. Wow. 24-7 for 30 years. So you could hide the maintenance of the bunker within the maintenance of this, of this larger facility. So the so that is a little of uh, one of the episodes from my upcoming series that's dropped yesterday, Monday, on what made America great in a time in which we question America and how great it is. We all know it is not perfect, but no one ever said perfect. It's not what made America perfect. What made it great? We talk about the Greenbrier. So what do you do in the Cold War in 1953 if you're concerned about the Russians, Soviets getting the atomic bomb and they got it? Well, you, you make sure that the country survives even if Washington doesn't. So you give them a place for the House and Senate to run to that no one would expect. How about the West Virginia Mountains, Greenbrier Resort, a place for the elite? Well, built in the back, they say it's an extension, is this underground, which looks like a human vault, where we would be able to house the House and Senate and their staffers and their immediate family for 30 days. Pretty cool, right? So that's on Fox Nation uh, if you haven't gotten it. But if you do get it and have it already, just go on your phone right now. Just tap it, and you'll get the brand-new season. Let's go out to Christine. Listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Christine. Hi. I have one comment. If this Olympic hopeful who turned her butt toward the American flag should happen to pursue a career resulting from her infamy, I wonder if she would turn her back on the American dollar. No, she doesn't. I mean, she's going to get I, – I, you t- I hate to say it. This woman's going to get paid because of this. Now, everybody wants her. They're going to want to talk to her. They're going to see what she tweets on a regular basis. Remember, she's good. she could easily get a couple of commercials. She said, I never said I didn't love the country. I, he said, I, I, I do it for my people. I'm not sure what this means. Here's the exact tweet. I never said I hated the country. People try to put words in my mouth, but they can't. That's why I speak out. I love my people. Now, I don't know. Who are her people? Am I her people? Are you her people? Correct. I agree with that comment. Absolutely. Are you disappointed the president is not condemning it? Absolutely. I respect that man. He is the resident of the White House, not the president, in my opinion. But I disagree with him on this issue. All right. Thanks so much. It's, it's disappointing. I mean, we're just trying to get through the Olympics. Tokyo is pushing back in their own country. Country people said, I don't want the world traveling here. I'm concerned about the virus. Only 15% of the population, only 15% of the population is inoculated. We shouldn't be having it. And now we're going to send our athletes over. And I think, okay, it'd be kind of cool. Summer, dead period. No one's watching baseball anyway. Basketball, the NHL is done. No one, football starts to break camp. Interesting. They'll write a few profile stories. But perfect time for the Olympics, especially after it's a year late. And now we have this subplot. I don't need this subplot. I don't want to put my head in the sand and say there are no problems. If I interview her after Gwen Berry and she says, you know, I had problems in the Pan Am game, I I would say, I do my research, I'd say in the Pan Am games, you put your fist up in the air and you said, black power, what's your issue? And if she wants to come out and say, I'm very disappointed in my country and I see systematic racism there, okay, that's how you feel. But if you're going to run to the podium and turn your back from the flag, you're embarrassing us in the country. People look around and go, really? Are these people, is it really that bad for minorities in America that they have to 
go ahead, qualify by throwing a hammer, not a popular sport in America, might be a great sport, I have no idea, but throwing something far as something more ancient Romans did. We're a little bit more sophisticated now, but that's fine. You probably had everything paid for, all your training done. You got the latest apparel. I don't know if life's been that bad. It's rewarded your hard work. So what is the problem? So you say, well, that's me, but I'm worried about my past. Okay. Maybe people can mirror your work ethic unless it's that easy and that's few people throwing the hammer. I don't think it's that easy. If you actually earned your way to finish third place and continue to be a world leader in this event— I know how hard, for the most part, you had to work to separate yourself. America is still a meritocracy. You work hard. You excel. You work You work your contacts. You know, if you have to wear a suit as opposed to a uniform. And you go ahead and work your contacts. You can excel in this world uh, all the time, most of the time. I can't tell you when, but you'll break through. And that's what's so cool about sports. Hard work, a 17-year-old, you see a 19-year-old A-Rod come from dismal circumstances as a kid. He's able to uh, refine his skills, take his natural talent, and become a great star. Same thing with this woman. But she's not happy. Not happy with us. Not happy with you. I'm happy with you. Trace Gallagher coming up next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't worry. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't care what this woman may say after fact. She hates this country. I want to be very clear. She's a black life activist. She does not speak for black Americans. She does not speak for America. She speaks for herself. She's basically trying to be the LeBron James of the Olympics. And regarding Joe Biden, Pete said it correctly. Joe Biden base is Antifa, Black Lives Matter. He cannot criticize them. That's the progressive wing. But what I find offensive from this lady, I would ask her and anyone who belongs with her mind, way of thinking, what country is better than this country? And that is Leo Terrell, of course, Fox News contributor. Uh, he was a, a liberal civil rights attorney, and he is liberal. He's uh, Leo Terrell 2.0, no longer that, but still a civil rights attorney. Trace Gallagher here. Uh, trying to make sense of this when sports becomes news, we cover it. Right, uh, Trace. Good to see you in person. Good to be here, Brian. I've never been on the show. I'm, I'm kind of excited. You know, yeah, we've been banning you for a long time, <laughs> and uh, I finally, I finally gave in. I think 25 years is too much. I though, think Brian. so too. I mean, I think you know, maybe a couple of years, but 25 yeah, is just I think too much. Yeah, I think in retrospect, I overreacted. Yeah, right. So, um, but you filling in for a Bill Hammer this week? I and, am. And you have to deal with uh, Dana Prino. You probably don't want me to bring this up on air, but she's a lot. She's a tough. She's tough, right? <laughs> she's a lot. No, right. she. I mean, really, is there a more gracious woman on the planet than Dana Perino? She's just the most easygoing person, smart, bright, you know. Knowledgeable, well-read, too. The most Very. well-read person I've ever met. Yep, she's on it. She's right. definitely on it. And she must be a speed reader. We're going to get to the bottom of that. You're an investigative reporter. Could you get to the bottom of that? I will. I mean, you work with her all week? I'll be back in about three weeks, and I'll get to the bottom of that. And you filled in for John Roberts last week. Did John Roberts last week, Bill Hemmer this week. I'm doing you next week. Right. I'm, I'm told they haven't told you yet. Right. It just, it, you know, they told me. I'm just getting reports now. My shoes, uh, my shoes are too big. Yeah, that, that's what it is. So now that they just they just texted me and said, no, it's cancel all, the over. kill me thing. You're out. But you are going to be filling in for Brett Bear. I, I, I am. I'm, I think I'm doing special report on july uh i don't know 30th or july 20 well you know one of the summer days right. where nobody's here they can't find anybody in in dc to so they said you know what let's let gallagher do it because there's nobody in the building they're all in the hamptons or in chevy chase or doing whatever they do so 
uh, I've never thought the first time you'd be on the show we'd be talking about hammer throwing. But yeah. I, I am because Gwen Berry has come out and did something I didn't even think Colin Kaepernick was capable of doing. And that's turning their ba- her back on the flag while putting a shirt over her head that says activist athlete yeah. while condemning the country. I mean, what do we say at this point? If it was before Kaepernick, we'd be we'd be stunned. Right. But now in light of everything that we've seen, what do you think? You know, I think there's a couple of good points in this. One, you know, we have to remember she won the bronze medal. So, you know, you forget about the people who came in first and second place. They had no attention on them. They're great athletes. All three of them are great athletes. They really achieved some amazing things. But the focus should have been on uh, the, the gold and the silver medal. You know, number two, there was a very good article written in the Wall Street Journal by Jerry Baker. And he went on to say, you know what, I listen, I, I you know, I will sign on to her right to do whatever kind of Whatever kind of protest she wants, the national anthem. He didn't agree with it, doesn't think it's effective. But at least at some point in time, she has to say, you know, at least this country gives me the opportunity to protest, right? I get to do whatever I want to. If you're in China, I mean, if you're running or throwing the hammer for China or Russia or I can name 10 other countries and you do something like that, you're no longer a part of their Olympic team. So, But, but Trace, here's the problem with that argument. Everyone is happy in China and Russia. You know that, right? Yeah, What's exactly. there to complain about? I know. I mean, when they take their gold medal, they seem so happy or else they would have taken a knee or thrown the flag. You're right. I mean, I, I, I digress. I should have noted that they are that the happiness level in right. China is sky high. Russia right. as well. <laughs> I mean, right. the elation level in Russia is is off the charts. So she says so well, is the vodka level. By right. The way. right. Which is they're related. Systemic. She has, there's too much systemic racism. <laughs> right. So she has to she has to protest for this. So my feeling is, is it embarrassing I mean, isn't it embarrassing if she does win a medal in Tokyo? We're going to have to sit up there. But the IOC made a specific uh, – they made a rule. You cannot protest your country or your flag or disrespect your country's – or any country's anthem in the Olympic competition should she stand on the podium. Right, right. I mean, listen, the, the IOC said that if you want to kneel, you can – there are certain rules that we will say fine. But you got – you have got to stay within the rules. Her coming out saying, I was blindsided that they, you know, they set me up because I didn't know the national anthem was going to play. What else is going to play? They say every day at 520, it plays yeah. once a day, yeah. every day at 520, the national anthem plays, and you're surprised, and they say, look, we notified her the national anthem is going to play at this time, and you happen to be on the podium at that time. That's the way it is. Well, and the problem is you said that that's not my anthem. Really? Fantastic. Oh, yeah. you're not, so what else is not yours? Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. Is And, you you know, you, you point out the whole idea of we have problems on the border because people want to get into the United States. Yeah. They are waiting in line. There are tent cities at the border in Mexico because people want to come here. Why do they want to come here? They want to come here because this is the land of opportunity. And she has gotten a great opportunity. She's a great athlete. Uh, I, I don't know her personally. I don't know much about her. But, you know, this was one of the things where, listen, if you want to do something like this, you need to do it in a respectful way and then afterwards you can't just trash everybody as part of your protest have you uh how long you been in la uh i was here for five years i was in la for five years before that and then i've been back in la for 10 years and i was in chicago i was in san francisco i've been with fox news channel since the start did you overlap with phil jackson uh, as coach of the lakers i did yeah yeah so do you did you ever hear that phil jackson's a racist no 
Never. You know, and that's the whole thing is, you, you know, you look at the Scottie Pippen thing and you think, wow, because now, Brian, when you accuse somebody of being racist, you know, you're ruining careers. You're ruining livelihoods. You're ruining reputations. Maybe reputations, perhaps a little bit, but everyone's a racist now. Right. I that, mean, it's it's unbelievable how much we throw that word around. Right. But but Scottie Pippen, if you're Scottie Pippen and listen, he's got the right to his opinion. But at some point in time, you have to be able to present evidence. You can't say Phil Jackson's a racist because he drew up a play for Tony Kukoc instead of me. Who's or white. Phil, Right, who's white, or Phil Jackson's a racist because he called out Kobe Bryant and then had the audacity to go and coach Kobe Bryant. That's not evidence. That's not enough for you to call him a racist repeatedly and then double down and call him a racist again. So Dan Patrick realizes in the middle of this interview it's not going to be a typical interview, in my opinion. Maybe he knew it. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, Scottie Pippen is just uh, so angry uh, over the last dance, which was this runaway hit documentary right. of Michael Jordan's Final season, nothing on television during the pandemic. Bazillions of people watched. Right. I so, watched. So here is what you just talked about. Scottie Pippen telling Dan Patrick why the winningest coach in history is a racist. Cut eight. By saying a racial move, you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. Do you think Phil was or is? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? Who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that. I well, think he tried to expose Kobe in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach, and you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle, and everything stays within the circle because that's what team is about. But you as the head coach open it up, and now you go out and you try to belittle, at that time, probably one of the greatest players in the game. Listen, I, the one thing has nothing to do with the other. No. Isn't it obvious? Isn't that obvious? Yeah. I mean, listen, that's the whole point. The whole point is, is that you can't just base these claims of racism based nothing on, no evidence, just based on this guy was white, this guy's black, this guy is this. You can't just base your claim on that. You have to have something. In these days, you have to have something that really backs up your claim. And Scotty Pippen's claim, I think, is specious at best. Right. And by the way, wasn't he taking Shaq's side? Yes. Who, and like, yes. You, you were out there, but I, right. I believe Shaquille O'Neal is black. Yeah, uh, last we checked, yes, yes. And Shaquille O'Neal is, you know, is very outspoken, and Shaquille O'Neal would be a good guy, and you're going to hear, I'm sure, from him in the next couple of days because they will ask Shaquille. He's very outspoken. And, and I, my, get, my guess is that he's going to come out and he's going to support Phil Jackson. My, my thing is, Chase, when you see all these things happening, everyone, Hispanic, the gender transition, the trans, uh, the bathrooms, it's like who's making these rules? Right. Like, I don't even know where these issues are coming from. They, they, they seem, you know, it's not like we have to deal with 9-11, who did it and why. We saw what happened. We saw the attack on the coal. It's easy to figure out where storylines are going. Right. I feel like these things are coming from outer space. We have language now that we have to abide by. At least the AP and uh, some, you know, the Associated Press and other news organizations want us to abide by this language that I'm not sure who made up the rules. Latinx, uh, half my family is Mexican and they don't have any idea what Latinx means. I just, first time I heard that, by the way, do you think that Joe Biden does? He said it yesterday. I think he said Latina X or something. Yeah, he doesn't, nobody knows what it means. What does it mean? I mean, somebody has to come out and explain what these terms all mean. What we can use, what we can't use, and who are you to say we can't use this? I mean, it happened several years ago when, you know, ABC said we're no longer allowed to call illegal immigrants 
uh, illegal immigrants. They have to be undocumented immigrants. They have to be other kinds of immigrants. And you see the federal law still has them written as illegal immigrants. As long as federal law writes them as illegal immigrants, guess what? On the newscast and the reporting that I do, they're considered illegal immigrants. That's just the facts. That's what they are, despite who wants to make up these changes. Right. And uh, the biggest uh, the story that I do understand where it came from, where it's the old rules, is what's happening at the border. Right. How many times have you been to the border in California? Uh, a, a thousand times. My first job in television was on the border. I was in El Centro. I was a one-man band in El Centro, California, which is right there uh, near Calexico and Mexicali, right there on the border. My photographer was Hispanic, wonderful guy. And, you know, that's what we covered. We covered the border. I went from El Centro to Yuma, Arizona, again, on the border. I've been covering these issues for 35 years, and they're the same today as they were 35 years ago. But what we saw, too, is within a span of three months, uh, the border was out of control in 2019, but you had a, a situation where everyone was desperate to fix it. Right. It seems like this administration is more desperate to ignore it and upset that we're focusing on it. Do you think that uh, the Secretary Mayorkas would be like, guys, media, come with me. I'm going to the border. It's right. going to be fun. Yeah. Where I was asked to go with the Secretary of Defense, who is helping out uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security to try to seal the border. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure. I mean, there's a there's a kind of a balance here. I'm not sure if the administration is ignoring the border or they just don't have a solution. So. They don't know what to say. I mean, what do you say? You can't just go down and say over and over again, okay, there's a crisis. There's a crisis. There's a crisis. There's no solutions. I mean, you have Kamala Harris who goes down to the to Guatemala. She thinks that it's the root cause, right? She goes down and she thinks that the northern triangle countries of El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala, if you just pump money into there, this will cure it. Well, even if she's right, it's going to take 10 or 20 years. The problem now is there's a crisis on the border today and yesterday and tomorrow, and it's going to continue. Continue and there's no solution. She went to the Rio. I mean, she went to El Paso. She ignored the Rio Grande Valley, where which is now the epicenter of this crisis. And the reason she's doing that is because you don't go to where it's happening because then you have to address it. And what do you address when you don't have a solution? Don't you think it's embarrassing and telling that the Mexican president said your reputation is that you are a immigrant president? Right. Uh, you're pro-immigrant. And don't you think it's telling that the Guatemalan president knows he's going to meet with Kamala Harris mm-hmm. and says the message is come. And I was angry because they're leaving my country and the coyotes reported almost the next day after the election to go grab him and go. Isn't that that removes politics. And that gives me reality. They were wearing Joe Biden T-shirts. We have never gotten to the caravans. bottom of that. They're wearing Joe Biden T-shirts because some let of these people. In. Yeah, let me in. And that's the whole idea is the cartels have gamed the system. Social media is everything. Everywhere. These migrants come from Guatemala. They have cell phones. They know the news. They know what social media is saying. And everything the administration does is on social media, and they're following that. And the cartels are taking them one better because now the cartels are gaming this. They're throwing 30 or 40 in a U-Haul in 114-degree temperatures, and they're driving north. And these poor people in the back, I mean, you know, they've taken seats out of, of Ford Broncos and stuffed 16, 18 people, immigrants in there, and told them to lay on top of each other for hours on end to get them across the border just for money, just for profit. And it, it is a shame. Right. And if it was happening under Trump, man, you would they would be screaming from the rooftops about, you know, the, the human rights issues that are happening. Down and what there. about the Fort Bliss stories of these kids losing their minds because they don't have an end in sight and they feel like they're being imprisoned right. uh, where they're coming from because we moved them away from the tent cities 
and the soft facilities, and we move them to military bases where we can't see them. And, Trace, I'll challenge you a little bit when you said there was no answers. It wasn't perfect. They remain in Mexico in the third country, those and the Title 42, right. along with building the wall and sending the message of right. don't come and putting 25,000 Marine, Mexican Marines on their, uh, Mexico's southern border. Don't you think that was a message? No, no. I, I'm not saying there were no answers. I'm saying the administration currently doesn't have a solution. The only solution is the one that was in place six months ago, which is the Remain in Mexico policy. So what you do is you double down on that. What was the solution? The fence, building of the fence. They were guarding areas in there. They were building the fence. The word was out in Guatemala, in Honduras, in El Salvador. The fence was being built, and they didn't come because of that. There is not a chance in the world that this administration is going to do what the other administration did or go back to it because who what you're going to have Joe Biden come out and say you know what I think that wall's not a bad idea after all or you know what maybe that remain in Mexico policy is pretty good the the title 42 thing what what's he doing there he's kind of he's kind of Taking letting his time lapse. on this, he's letting it lapse, and he's really saying, you know, I can't, and he's going to just blame it on the C. He's going, I'm going to follow the CDC guidance. Are you? Are you? What, did you not follow the the guidance from the Border Patrol and from, you know, Customs and Border Protection when they said, Mr. President, this wall is actually a good idea. It's actually effective. And then, right. you know, this thing could work. Maybe we just keep building. The money's already been allocated. Maybe we just keep going. So Trey's going to stick around. We'll find out if there's indeed more to know in just a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Trace Gallagher's here. And Trace, do you know that it's time for us to know more? I've heard that. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So, uh, Trace Gallagher filling in for Bill Hammer. And these are the stories that Dana Perino rejected. So, I'm going to have a chance to do them with you. (laughs) Jamie Lynn is speaking out in in behalf of her sister. Says in a series of Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. Jamie, she's 30 now. Emotional at times. She explained how proud she is of Britney for using her voice. Quote, the only reason I haven't been spoken out before because I felt like until my sister was able to speak for herself, uh, she couldn't feel like she can get ahead of her. What's your take on this story? Well, I think Jamie Lynn Spears, by the way, was pretty compelling. I mean, she made a good argument, and she's a good kind of advocate for her sister. And by the way, Dana Perino tells me this morning that she's also got a great song out. I didn't even know she was a singer. Right. So it turns out she's also a singer, and Dana Perino's a fan of right. Jamie Lynn Spears. Christina Aguilera also going to bat for Britney right. Spears, so that's good news. Next. Uh, Ted Cruz calls for the CDC to follow the science and scrap the airline mandate. You flew out here. I just flew out here. We had to wear a mask? It's uh, the whole way. I mean, and it's it's still where, I mean, they say it five times. Five times you get on the plane and you have to wear a mask. I mean, remember, the airline was the only industry in the in the country where you had to stay six feet apart from people while you were in the airport, and then you put you on the plane and you're cheek to jowl for five and a half hours. That's crazy. And they think, oh, that's great because we're recircling, recycling the air. Is that what it is? Is that the solution, recycle the air? Well, how come that recycle air isn't good now? I'm not we sure. we got to wear the mask the whole time. New research finds two and three Americans are more excited to return to their normal ways of living than anything else in their lives, even if it means sitting in traffic again. Are you one of the two of three? Well, You want to be normal again, Trace Gallagher? I want to be normal again, and I'll tell you the traffic 
traffic is back. I mean, come on, in Los Angeles, it's traffic everywhere you go. The 405, why do people go on the 405? I, they never get off it's it. It's the busiest freeway in the world, and yet people get on it, and I think, and then they're surprised. They're surprised when it's traffic. They're like, well, where's all the traffic? Where are the people coming from? If, if, can I give you an idea? Yeah. Put a train right next to it. <laughs> yes. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.